you guys can come and tune in with us every third <laughs> third Thursday of the month. Look, I, I, I was supposed to remind you of my bad. I forgot. Right. I, I, forgot to, I forgot to tell you that you was doing this part. It's the third Thursday, right? Third uh -huh. Thursday. I was about to say the first Thursday. So hey everyone, and thank you for joining. My name is Chris Colston. I'm joined by Isaiah Toots, Kimberly Lake, and Laria Reed, and we are Four Friends in a Book. So Four Friends in a Book is our monthly podcast series where we have a discussion centered around a book that we're reading together, and we discuss any current or relevant topics that may or may not relate to that book. So somewhat of a, a book review and just table talk amongst friends. Uh, so first and foremost, if you haven't already, Please like, share, subscribe. Um, we would love to hear from you guys. Follow us on all social media platforms um, and give us some feedback. You know, if you guys have any book recommendations or topics you want to hear us discuss on Four Friends in a Book, we would definitely love to hear uh, from you guys. So hit us up. We're going to jump right into it. The, the book for this month, um, big book <clears throat> in the nonfiction category, The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson, um, the epic story of America's great migration, the greatest untold story of the 20th century, mm -hmm. where she uses uh, firsthand accounts of Ida Mae Gladney, which was from Mississippi, um, George Starling, which was from Florida, and Robert Foster, which was from Louisiana. And, and she used these individuals to tell the story of their, their process, I guess, as far as migrating, um, from out of the South, up North, out West. Um, and she just really just gives a, a great job of, of capturing that that old concept. Yes. For me, it's kind of reminiscent of just having a discussion or a talk with your, your grandparents or your great grandparents, just hearing their story. Um, and it's just in that book form. So again, Isabel does a account of these three individuals and it mixes in a lot of historical facts and things of this whole period of the great migration between 1915 and 1975. Uh, what characters or who was your, I guess, the character that she utilized, which one stood out to you the most, I guess, it, it, throughout this book? Okay. Well, of course, my favorite character was Robert Joseph Pershing Foster. He was most memorable to me. <laughs> And he was the son of a high school principal and a teacher, you know, the youngest of four siblings. You know, Robert, you know, he got his first start because his oldest brother, Madison, was a doctor already. So Robert, you know, Robert came from, you know, his theme background. So they wanted to instill a lot in him so that when he was able to enter and matriculate to Morehouse College. And in Atlanta is where he actually met his wife, um, Alice. And, you know, Alice was the daughter of Atlanta University um, um, president already. So him and his wife, they actually ended up getting married. So they actually moved to Tennessee. And that's what actually Robert went to medical school. He went to Meharry Medical College. And I say all that to just say this, even with Robert's all his connection that he's had, he was actually still subjected to Jim Crow and the laws that followed him through every state that he went through. And these were the 1930s. So just imagine this black guy 
he's actually coming up into the world and he's still subjected and can't feel like he can't actually can't escape from all this. Robert's earlier years as a surgeon, all he could do was basically, you know, do urine samples and actually take blood pressure. Robert even went to the U.S. Army and, you know, his superiors wouldn't even allow him to actually see and visit white patients. They discredited his um, abilities, you know, as a surgeon. And, you know, from where he started to where he ended and he matriculated through, you know, the progress of being one of the top surgeons of the United States, that was most memorable to me. And that's why, you know, I feel that I connected with him as you know one of the good characters in this book. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Robert again uh, starts out in Monroe, Louisiana, and as Isaiah mentioned, he takes this journey. Um, you know, going to college um, in Atlanta, um, going to medical school, joining the the army, uh, being deployed, going overseas, and still having these hardships as far as trying to progress within his career and and finally deciding to to you know take his talents out west and, and move to california um you know only to get out there and, and face additional hardships so uh, good good account of that maria i'm coming to you next who was your who was your most memorable character within this book okay well i liked all three um, for various reasons. I like Robert, Ida, and George, but George, I resonate, resonated the most with. Um, and let me just say this about this book. It is, um, of course, it's a historical book, but it's extremely heavy for me. And I was telling you guys, like the stories that they were giving, even from each one of them was just like, I kept having to stop because it was just so, woo. But with George, I identified with him. And I, I think because he went to college, he was, he was a sharecropper's child. And then his father was able to send him to Florida A&M during that time. And that was kind of like, um, that, I mean, you think of first generation going to college as being a big deal, but that was a huge deal to send your child in because that was labor. That was money that you could be having helping you and the money that you were using to send your child to school. So <clears throat> for me, that was a huge deal. Um, and it kind of made me reflect on my own life. Like I just took for granted, oh, I'm going to college. All right, I'm going on my father. You know, we can get student loans and just go. But for him, it was like, that was a major thing to leave from where they were. And then for him to get there and then have to come back because his money had run out. And I, it was just, it was just so like gut wrenching. And I'm just thinking because of the fact that I've gone to college, I was putting myself in those shoes. Like, what would it be like to be going to FAMU? Basically, you're in a college setting, you're good, and then have to go back to picking <laughs> in cotton or doing whatever the sharecropping was for that time. So I kind of identified more with his story. Um, that was probably the only thing I could identify with any of their stories because they were so just. And we'll get into talking about more of that, but just gut-wrenching the things that they had to go through to be who they were, just to live day-to-day, -day, especially being a Black man. You just, I mean, you could wake up and just be lynched for walking down the street because they thought you did something. So um, I don't want to give too much away, but yeah, George was my favorite person. I really enjoyed his character. Yeah, yes. yeah I agree. George was a good, another <laughs> good story. All right, Miss Lake. Who's your most memorable character in the, in the book? So for me, 
I have to agree with Isaiah. Robert was my favorite character. And anytime I read a book and somebody is like a dreamer, I kind of just relate to them because I'm that way. And Robert had that drive and that dream in him to be better and do better um, always. Like Isaiah said, he was a doctor, but he was relegated to doing urine samples or just being out of the country. He couldn't see white people. And he always, in spite of what he faced, he always in his head was like, okay, I, I need I need more. He was always trying to elevate himself. And even when he got out to California and he was trying to build his practice, he still had to face discrimination, not only from whites, but people that knew him that, you know, back in Louisiana, they didn't want to see him because they thought a white doctor would be better. So he was always hustling, trying to be better than what he was and what he knew he could be. Now, was he a little flashy? And, you know, sometimes he had, you know, trying to buy cars and all that. Yeah. But under all of that, it's because he knew that's what, that's where he should have been always. So I like Robert because I'm a dreamer and, you know, if he could do it, that motivates me to believe I could do it, especially with his circumstances that he faced in his life. So he was my favorite story in the book. That's true. Good, good. Yeah, um, I'm gonna be honest, man. I like them all. Uh, this <laughs> this book was right up my alley. Um, I love history. I love um, African American history and just to hear these stories. Um, my girl Ida May, she from Mississippi, <laughs> you know, I'm a Mississippi boy, so uh, that was a lot of connecting pieces with that. Um, just hearing her and her husband's story and just really the hardship they're facing and, and, and some of the injustices they're seeing that was really the driving force for them to leave Mississippi to, to you know, go to greener pastures, which they thought may have been greener pastures. Um, you know, everybody talking about Robert uh, from Monroe, Louisiana. So I, I got connection with that. My, my dad's side of the family is from, from Monroe. So, um, even just his story, his journey to, you know, try to advance his education, to try to advance his economic standing, you know, was very, it just resonated with me a lot as well. And George, you know, again, just a, a young guy trying to make it, mm -hmm. you know, you know mm -hmm. being known as, you know, professor, you know, just a smart guy trying to, you know, get an education, but really just, you know, having the hardships and having to, I guess, being forced to kind of work and not and give up on that dream that mm -hmm. he had, um, but still pushing to, to make through and make the best of even you know, those guys, you know, picking oranges and fruits and other mm -hmm. things, to try to make the best of that situation. So, um, so I just talked about our favorite characters, but even reading the book, and again, Isabel, she takes you on this journey of these three individuals and their migration um, from the South to whether they're going up North or out West. Um, and that whole, I guess, story and some things you may have known about historically as well. But were there any, I guess, surprises or new revelations that you gathered from the book? I know you mentioned it was kind of just, it was heavy, um, but were there any new revelations or any surprises that you may have not have been aware of prior to reading the book? I'll, uh, I'll go. <clears throat> well, I think it's one thing to hear stories, but to hear an account from someone like a testimony is completely different. So I had heard about how sharecroppers would kind of cheat 
um, former slaves out of their money and all that. But to hear you put in all of this money and then you, you get to the end of the um, the crop or whatnot, and then they say, oh, we just, we're even now. So you basically Both just even. work their land for free. You know, it, it, it's just mind boggling the things that they had to go through with just, I mean, it was, I, I can't remember which one it was, because it was, so, it was so many stories to me where um, uh, one of them had to run back in the house or so. I can't remember if it was a story when they were younger or not, but just even walking on the sidewalk, just, mm -hmm. I mean, just hearing, well, not hearing, but reading and hearing, I listened on Audible, but hearing the accounts and the stories of how they just went through, how, how, volatile their lives were i mean it, it was just like you're almost like a dog day to day like what's gonna happen to me today and i mean and we think about our lives being the way they are now but compared to that that mm -hmm. was just horrible to have to live like that so i understand the migration i understand saying you know what y'all can have all of this i'm gone i get it i understand that um, so yeah, it was just so many, and I encourage people to really read this book. Um, but for me, it was extremely heavy because I have a very sensitive spirit, so I can't read a lot back to back of all of that. But it was, it was, I mean, it was like story after story after story after story that was just so detrimental to their lives, and it wasn't just a situation; it was systematic. And I think we're gonna get into that, but it just was like a system of. You're basically, you're not a slave anymore, but you're still a slave. And um, I just, I just can't believe people can sleep at night doing folks like that. I, I just, it, it was ridiculous. So that was my, that was one, many of my, uh, <laughs> my accounts from what stuck out to me. Yeah, yeah, no, I, no, I agree. It was, it was definitely a lot. Isaiah, you wanna jump in next, so. Yes, sir. You know, what most surprising to me was that even though Ida, George, and Robert, they all came from different um, backgrounds, they all had one common goal, is to be free and to be set free and to do what they want to do. And you read so many stories, you know, throughout the book where, you know, Black people that were actually trying to leave into migration, that they were just actually forced off of trains, tearing up train tickets, and just couldn't be able to just actually breathe and free and move about how they want to be. And when you're reading these stories, you think about, is this modern day slavery that was actually going on that these people just want to just be free live their lives and do the best of what they can do you know to push their family forward so that was you know one of the stories that were most surprises to me and you know towards like the end of the revelation was that you even read where the people that actually migrated up to the north that they didn't they even refused to even accept um government assistance like they 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 was hard workers like they felt that they, if they can do it and then they can move forward and they can move into these different um environments that like, no, they're, they're going to make it happen, even if they have to move into different homes and share families. You talk, we heard about, like, well, I read about where families actually share, like, in different homes and different flats until so they can find something else. And if you want to send your family up, they will live with you until so they can actually move into a house. So I just saw the elegance in that where, you know, no man is actually left behind. Like, if we, if, if, if I'm if I'm free, I want to free my whole family. And that was just the most releva relevation to me that I actually read throughout the story. Okay, good. Good. All right, Kim, what do you have? For me, it was like two things. So one was 
like Isaiah was saying, like when people were trying to leave the South, like reading the stories, it was almost like you had to escape slavery in a way. So it's like you can't buy a train ticket in the same town you're at because they're going to know you're leaving. And like you can't tell people you're leaving. And even though people were leaving, they were trying to send people up north to like round them up and send them back, like send them back to the South because the South knew that they're like we can't let these people leave because like we depend on their labor so it was just eye-opening for me because you know i was thinking like if you wanted to move to the north you just move but they really had to keep it like on the down low and it was like reading their stories i was stressed out i was like i hope they make it out and then um the second part was you know in school you hear about jim crow laws but reading how much it affected like every part of your daily life that it was almost making me like suffocate reading it because you couldn't Ooh. be human like mm-hmm. you had to get out the sidewalk don't look people in the eye we're talking about the ice cream shop like if somebody white comes in you got to get it to the end of the line and putting up with all those laws because you hear about the water fountains and sitting in the back of the bus and even on the bus like if more white people came on then they moved that sign back so like all the mm-hmm. black people had to be in the back of the bus so just realizing how much Jim Crow affected like every aspect of your life and how suffocating and demeaning that is for a person to deal with. Those are the two things that really stuck out to me in, in the book because I read about it, but hearing the actual stories and accounts really made it real and really showed how deep and wide it went. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. Um, the book was, it was a lot of relevation, um, revelations for me in reading the book. Again, of course, I grew up in the South. Um, I, I got cousins in Chicago, St. Louis, California. So I've always known about people leaving the South and going up North and going out West. Um, but I don't think I really knew the, the intricate details as far as the great migration itself, um, that there are actually people from up North coming down to the South to recruit people, you know, to work. Um, and that, like Kim mentioned, you know, you had this, this diminishing workforce in the South and they were getting upset because now they don't have people to work um, mm-hmm. during the time periods of, you know, we're in World War One and World War Two, where, you know, our soldiers are out fighting and now we need to make, you know, uh, you know, machines and weapons and other things um, to support that effort. And so there was a, a new, I guess, influx of, of black workers from the South now getting these, you know, industrial jobs and being able to work in these areas that are outside of you know the field that they may have been working in the south and people actually coming down to recruit them and and, and pay for that um but even hearing the the great extent that people had to go go through to get there i mean shipping themselves in boxes you know hiding in coffins like you guys mentioned just to to sneak away because it was you know it was such a a troubling time in a period where you, you didn't really have complete control of your life. Um, and again, I've, I've talked to my parents, you know, grandparents, I've heard some of these stories, but it's just, it, it was a lot um, to kind of even read it in this form um, and to kind of see some of those details, even when people actually made it to the North and and then facing new issues or you know, different, I guess, set of problems and injustices. So, you know, it wasn't that the the north and or moving out west was just your this grand escape. It's just now you had different different problems or new problems in those areas. So, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot, a lot of good information. Um, and again, Isabel does a great job. She even covers areas outside of um, the book itself. She, she represents my hometown a few times. Uh, I was I was shocked and surprised to see that that even popped up. <laughs> we would have known that Meridian, Mississippi would have would have been in the book. So um, again, just, there's a lot. And like I said, if you like, if you guys love history, um, non-fictions, I think this is a good book for you to read. So let's transition a little bit. So again, we're talking about the Great Migration, leaving the South, you know, for better opportunities or just a, a better way of life, you know, to escape, you know, some of the Jim Crow um, segregation issues of the South. Um, but you also had a, uh, I guess a strong population of people that did not leave. Uh, and even in the book, Robert uh, Foster's brother, um, he was a doctor as well, but he, he made mention of that he wasn't going to leave the South because he felt like, like by doing so, you're giving in to Jim Crow, or Jim Crow is winning, or, or one is winning the battle by you know you just giving up and and, and retreating or running away from the problem. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on that? The, do you agree with that concept? And also, if you were in that position, um, if you were in those shoes, if you're in that time period, what do you guys? What do, you, what do you think you would have done? Would you have stayed in the South or would you have been open to new opportunities you know, up North or out West? Kim, you want to start? Sure. Um, well, if it was me just reading the book and putting myself in, in their positions, I would have to try to get out. Cause I mean, reading the book, I could not read. Like, it was just too much. And I, I would just feel like, if I die, I would have to just try to at least have a better life somewhere else because the South just, it just wasn't it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with those who stayed or left. If you felt like you could stay in the South and you thought that was best for you and fighting and fighting a good fight, trying to make a change for us down here, then that's fine. Kudos to you. But for me, I would have to try to get to the West or the North to try to at least live out more of my potential like you said like going up north or out west didn't mean everything was a-okay because like even in california they didn't say what like jim crow is james crow so you still had to deal with that but just not to the extent of it in the south so for that alone i would try to migrate north or west okay okay Isaiah, what are your thoughts on that you know, I, I, I ponder with this question. Um, you know, for me, I'm neutral because I know with leaving Jim Crow, it's a testament to the courage, resilience, and dignity of the Black people who risk everything to gain, you know, just some measure of freedom that was promised to them. And even though they, you know, they face even the you know, other difficulties, you know, in the North, it was still nothing like the South. You know, for me, I would have basically left, but the only reason I would have left was just to gain the education and the experience to actually combat these Jim Crow laws. The only way that it can come up against us is that because we just didn't basically know any better. But once we got that education, able to combat, like, this is not right. And I'm going to tell you why this is not right based on what these laws and how we actually can go about changing those laws. So once I got the education, I would actually, you know, come back and combat these laws. And just, just to think of the modern day times that we're 
here and now. We're all from Georgia. Just imagine that if we would have left Georgia, it would have become a blue democratic state and we weren't able to actually get two democratic senators into Congress. So I think about those times and comparing to the times that we actually live in today. That's good. That's a, that's a good point. Good point. Yeah. Um, well, I was when I was reading the book, I was thinking about my own family and my grandmother's um all of her sisters left Georgia during that time. And one went to Delaware, one went to Boston, one went to Chicago. And I was just thinking, like, what would I have done? And as I was reading, I'm kind of like him, I would have been like, deuces, y'all can have all of this. <laughs> like I can't. And I think it would have been, and I think too, kind of like what Isaiah was saying, I think you have to know what you're called to and what your temperament is and what you can and cannot take. And being the kind of person that I am, like it would bother me seeing people being hung. It would bother me seeing those things on a regular basis um, and not saying that everything was just great in the North, but I just feel like I could stomach life a lot better if I were somewhere else <laughs> because it was just out of control, especially in the 20s, 30s, 40s, you know, I mean, Billy Holiday writing songs about strange fruit off the trees. I, mm -hmm. What kind of life is that to live for me? And I just believe that that would be my thought process now. Once again, like Kim said, I would not down anybody who would want to stay because we had to have people to to remain, to stay mm -hmm. in the fight, to do what was right, to assist mm -hmm. in us. And I wouldn't just leave and just be like, forget y'all, I'm done. Of course, I would want to at least come back and do things to help and bring awareness to different whatevers. But I don't think that I could live in a society like that. That just would not be something that I would want to do. And I would hate to leave, but I'd be <laughs> instead of on the midnight train to Georgia, I'd be on the midnight train. Get me out of here. I'm gone. Bye. I love y'all. I see y'all this summer. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Um, yeah, I, I kind of thought about it as well. I, even reading the book, you know, the three individuals that she um, uses to kind of give us this visual of, you know, this migration, they all had different reasons for leaving. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, George is in the, you know, the, the orange uh, orchards down in Florida. Um, mm -hmm. And he, kind of started a little union down there where they were demanding higher rates mm -hmm. um, and the landowners didn't like it and they literally put a hit out on him mm -hmm. so he was he was fleeing for his life um similar situation with ida and her husband um they saw a family member get beaten and thrown in jail and almost die for a crime that he didn't even commit um and so that was kind of a wake-up call for them and seeing that you know, they could be a victim, like they could be next. Mm -hmm. um, Robert's journey was a little different um, considering that he just really was motivated by, you know, trying to advance himself and and and, and go beyond what he was, you know, raised in. Mm -hmm. But even towards the end of the book, they all kind of had longing and desire still for the South. Um, and they, they, they still missed the South. Um, mm -hmm. I actually, I, I I talked to my parents about this book, and uh, I asked I asked their input, um, and and both of them even told me that they never really had any desires to 
to leave the South um, for kind of different reasons. So my mom has really mentioned, you know, just the, the family aspect. Of course, she had other family or didn't you know distant relatives that had moved up north. Like I said, Chicago was a, a huge place for people from Mississippi. Um, and so she would actually go visit Chicago every summer and work there, but she just never had the desire, um, you know, to to move there and leave. You know, her you know, close family siblings were still down south. And so for her, family was an important reason to keep her there. Um, my dad, he, uh, I think just kind of visiting other areas, you know, he joined the military, uh-huh. went out west and still kind of what was highlighted in the book, you know, you see that things maybe a little different, but there's a lot of similarities as far as the treatment um, of black people in this country. And I think they kind of just turned him away. Like I said, I think he enjoyed the experience of visiting, but just never really had any desires either to to leave. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I was kind of torn about that question. I, I can see the pros and cons on both sides, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know, like, but if I was, if my life was threatened in danger, yeah, I'm out. I'm out. We're gonna transition a little bit. So one of the things that is that's kind of been trending here lately has been this whole concept of critical race theory. Um, so it's been a kind of debate. It popped up. Uh, you know, this summer and a lot of the school boards, education things, um, as far as teaching people or teaching kids or students, um, this whole concept of critical race theory. Um, so the premise is not new. Um, critical race theory has been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. I'll just read a quick, I guess, breakdown of what it is. So. Critical race theory is an academic concept that is more than 40 years old. The core idea is that race is a social construct and that racism is not merely the product of individual bias or prejudice, but also um, is sometimes embedded in the legal system and politics. So again, critical race theory um, has been around for a while and it really just is the study of the relationship between race and law or how uh, race and racism may intersect with politics um, and culture and law, um, but it's been a, a big, a big, a big debate uprising as far as should this be included um, in our school systems. You know, I, I think it's historically been taught at a like a collegiate level, and again, just studying how these things work. But now, mm-hmm. the the concept of educating our children about you know the history of this country and how it may may or may not align with what we've been historically taught you know has been a huge i guess topic or subject of debate what do you think happened or why do you think this is such a like a, a sensitive subject at this point Isaiah, you want to start oh sure 
Um, you know, for me, I, I don't think race should be just taught at home with our families. You know, we send our children to school to learn about themselves, learn about where they come from, you know, as a society. It's important for our kids, especially our black kids, to learn about, you know, the race so they can understand who they are and where they come from. And, you know, for years, you know, in the education system, um, Black History Month and the things that they have taught you know the children that it always have came from the white narrative and why now that we just want to send our children to school you know to learn better where they come from you know some of them may not even know like how we read, read the story about the great migration system someone may not even know the roots they have caused and why they have moved to different parts of the country for the rest of their family so i think that you know it's very important you know for us to share that story you know with our kids you know recently congress made juneteenth a national holiday but you know they want to school legislation want to make you know against a lot of even talking about the importance of june to juneteenth so i just think that there's some of the things they need to take account into once they decide to whether they want to you know ban that law or not okay yeah kim what are your what are your thoughts on this whole critical race theory um i think one is very important it's something that needs to be taught in schools. I know me growing up in the American school system, like you just learn, you might, when it comes to black history, you know, it's like Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, like you just, mm -hmm. you, you get hit little highlights, but you, after reading this book, especially, you can just see the depth of the history of us here in America and how important we were here and are in America. It just, I think the pushback honestly is, Anytime you acknowledge something, that means something has to change. Yes. And I think the fight is we we want to not acknowledge it and not see it for what it is. Because if we do, then we have to change. And then like black people, like reparations, like you read this book, you're like, we are old. Just even <laughs> from what happened in the 50s, That's not true. that long ago, like people... There was like no upward mobility. You couldn't, there were laws where you couldn't buy houses in certain areas. And even if you had certain degrees and stuff, you couldn't work certain places. So just thinking about all the money lost for generations behind these people, like we're old. So I think the fight is not wanting to acknowledge it because America would have to change. That's true. That's awesome. Ignorance really is bliss. You know, what you don't know, as Kim Counter said, um, what you don't know, you don't have to face, you don't have to change. So if I face what has really happened, I really have to say, oh my gosh, I can't believe my ancestors did this. We need to do something about this. Because if we all know the truth, if everybody knows, then everybody has to change. And that goes from Black people and our identity. I think that this would help a lot with us because there's some children just that just don't know where they come from because mm -hmm. due to some of our relatives that don't want to talk about those ugly things who, that have happened, as well as, you know, even in the history books and the history of our country. So, you know, sometimes you just got to put things out on the table, whether it's your family history or not. You know, you may have had an uncle that shot somebody or somebody that did something crazy. Just go on and put it all out there so you can know what you have, what you're working with, and where you've come from. And I don't understand why everything has to be so hidden and under the surface and so controversial. Oh, critical race theory. It's like we're just talking and having discussions about things that have happened. These are facts. This is not something we just made up and was like, oh, 
let's come up with some stuff to make everybody feel guilty. No, this is what happened. This is history. This is this is real talk. You know, okay. but once again, going back to what Kim said, you have to face it and you have to make a change. When everybody knows the truth, you have to say, you know what, <laughs> this was not right. And I think that, you know, we want to, we always say we want to move forward, but if you don't, you can't move forward when you don't know what has truly happened and you don't know the truth. And the truth is African-Americans in this country have suffered a lot in various ways systematically. And, um, okay, that's it. <laughs> I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> nah, that's good. I'm getting ready to go in. I'm, I felt myself getting ready to hit. I was about to be on that rant in about, about 10 more seconds. I was on my way in. I said, let me pull back, daughter. Pull back. <laughs> nah, that's good. I, I think you guys all bring up very good points um, throughout. And I, I think it's very relevant to the book we just read as well um so one of the quotes you know I'm, I'm big on quotes and so one of the quotes that i wrote from from the book the warmth of other sons was the past is of value only as it aids in understanding the present and an understanding of the facts of the problem um so again if, if our past is a, a tool to help us to understand why we are in these present states um, and then to use that to help us um, address the problem that, that that's at hand, um, I, I think we have to use that and utilize that so we don't, you know, remain in the same state. Um, to me, it's very clear and obvious that, um, again, if you're looking at critical race theory for what its intended purpose is, it's really the study of, you know, race, racism and its intersection with, you know, legislation, uh, politics, the laws, it's, it's clear to see that, you know, that we mentioned the red line and we mentioned the housing disparities, even reading this book as far as um, the wealth gap and how you had people doing the same or similar jobs were being paid, you know, at different rates. Um, mm -hmm. um, you hear about the families in the book where, um, you know, they're educators or principals, but, you know, making two times less than their white counterparts and they're doing the same jobs. Um, you hear about even the, the migrants moving north where they were only allowed to stay in certain sections of the town. Um, mm -hmm. Their rent was two to three times higher than, you know, their other um, neighbors and counterparts in other areas. And so to me, that is a very clear indicator that there was some issue, systemic issue um, that was rooted in, in some form of race or racism that had an impact on, you know, the politics and the law, the legislation at that time. And I think we have to acknowledge that. And I, I don't mm -hmm. think it's that we're the concept of critical race theory is to, to go into the schools and, and teach kids to be racist or teach kids to be stuck in this time period. Um, we have made progress. We are making progress. But again, the, the past and the history and understanding that is a tool that will allow us to move forward. And I think that's, there's a need for that. Um, so yeah, I agree with you guys as well. So again, for friends in the book podcast, we're giving y'all books, giving y'all relevant topics, um, current events, things that are going on within our community, within our country, 
uh, within this world. And so for this month, um, the warmth of other suns by Isabel Wilkerson and critical race theory were our topics of discussion. Um, so yeah, good talk. Good talk, guys. I appreciate y'all input. <laughs> good talk, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So look, you know, we about to transition. We segue into that, that, that favorite segment y'all always waiting on. We have it each episode, the rant. It's our time period where we give 60 seconds uninterrupted. We're not debating. We're not contesting. We're allowing one of our friends to speak from the heart, whatever may be on their mind, uh, whatever they may be um, thinking about at that moment. And they just speak freely. And so we're coming back to my brother, Mr. Rant Man himself. <laughs> None other than Mr. Isaiah Tooks. He's been killing these rants every episode. <laughs> Um, again, I never know what I'm getting. We never know. It's, it's new to us, but we're not going to debate it. And so, my brother, gonna do it again. So, starting, starting, starting now. Go, just give it to him. Nearly one weekend, Black people in New Orleans, Louisiana, struggled to recover from Hurricane Ida devastating blow. Ida killed at least 11, dumped more than 13 inches of rain, and left whole neighborhoods underwater. The lack of leadership in New Orleans is really damaging to Black life, as they are the most neglected city in America that no one likes to talk about. Right now, they haven't had access to clean water. We're still in the middle of a pandemic where people can work, and now the rent is due for the evacuated homes, and they have no power or running water. And you can't miss a payment because the eviction moratorium was canceled by the Supreme Court. I know personally people who have fled to different states, frightened of returning to back to unknown damages, and awaiting any type of assistance from the government. And we cannot be the land of the free in a country with unlimited resources to help evacuate and place hundreds of thousands of immigrants in various parts of the world and make them comfortable, only to leave our black citizens in Louisiana out into the streets. And that's that on that. That's good. Again, we have to be the, the catalyst for change that we want to see within our community, um, within our state, within our country. And so we all have a part to play in that. So thank you, brother, for, for educating us once again with your rant. Yeah. All right. So four friends in a book podcast. We just wrapped up this month's book, The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. Um, if you guys haven't read the book, please check it out. It's an awesome read. Like I said, I you love history, if you love African-American history, if you just want to just kind of get a good story um, you know, from the journey of, of, of some, some elders and how they have traversed this life that they live. I mean, she literally covers their journey from from life to, to, to death. Um, and so it's a good read, good experience, and I, I uh, encourage you guys to, to check it out. So, all right, so we're going to my brother Isaiah, man. Tell him about the book we're reading for, for next month. Hey guys, please join us next time as we discuss our newest book, When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole. Alyssa Cole is a New York Times bestseller and has written a phenomenon thriller that has a little bit of everything. History, mystery, humor, and conspiracy. You don't want to miss it. Loria, where can they tune in? Every third Thursday of the month, you can come right here with your four friends, your favorite four friends to talk about books. Yes. And we want you guys to follow us on all of our social media platforms. So follow us on Facebook, Instagram, 
Four Friends in a Book. And on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to our channel, Four Friends in a Book. That way you won't miss any of the great content we put out throughout the week. All right, guys. Thank you for tuning in with us. As always, let's read, let's learn, let's grow. Let's have a discussion here on Four Friends in a Book. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.